0: Would you welcome to Faith Christian Center Pulpit our friend and brother Tony Cook. Thank you, Pastor John. appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So good to be with you. Thank you very much. You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you, Pastor John and Anita. Sure love your pastors. They are such dear people, wonderful people. And and, uh, ever since I started coming here, I think it may have been... With Brother Hagan for the first time back around what eighty nine or something of that nature, and then um, have been able to preach here several times as well over the years always always had a good time uh, here in Seacock and at faith Christian Center and uh, I'm just excited to be with you before we jump into the message today, I wanted to take a few minutes, not long, but just a couple minutes, and you all have faithfully uh, and generously supported Tony Cook ministries. Uh, for, I don't know how long, a long time. And um, when my wife and I stepped away, we'd been on staff at Rama for 18 and a half years. And we stepped away from that position in 2002 to go into traveling ministry. And I thought uh, that we would travel maybe a year, two at the most. And it's been 14 years now. And God gave us a real simple assignment to strengthen churches and leaders and uh, part of our great joy has been to, uh, we've preached in 26 nations, 46 states, we do a lot of things in uh, Bible schools and ministers' conferences overseas and stateside, and so because you guys have been a part of supporting and helping us to do all that we've been privileged to do. I just want to show you a few pictures and uh, these all capture just a few things that we've been privileged to see just in the last year. So uh, the very first picture that we're going to put up is, uh, th- those are a group of believers in Moscow, Russia. Uh, those are folks at Good News Church in Moscow, that's Rick Renner's church, many of you know Pastor Rick and Denise Renner. And they have three services like that every weekend, and they're right, you know, in the heart of the former capital of the Soviet Union. And, um, uh, you know, they have a great, great church there. Uh, When they did, that building is less than two years old, and when they did their building dedication, uh, Vladimir Putin sent four top government officials from the Russian government to celebrate and to extend congratulations to let the church know that, that the government appreciates what the church is doing to help the Russian people. And Rick told me that all four of these government officials, um, they uh, shared what Jesus meant to them, and they each shared scripture, and in addition to passing on congratulations from the Russian government. I think that's pretty cool. And um, so... Uh, I'm, I'm not, not saying that Vladimir Putin is gonna get Sunday School Student of the Year award or anything. I, but, uh, apparently he's got some people high up in his administration that love Jesus and, and, uh, able to very heartfelt, uh, express congratulations to the church. While we were there in the next slide, uh, we were able to see four of our books translated into Russian. And that really blessed us. Uh, two of those books were translated there in Moscow and, printed, published, and two of those books were done in uh, Ukraine. And uh, so those books are being used in Bible schools and to help help uh, pastors across uh, Russia and other Russian-speaking nations, and, and that was a great blessing. On this particular trip, we went uh, from Russia to Switzerland to France to Germany to Italy and ministered in all those places. The next picture is when we were in Geneva, Switzerland. And that was one of the two places we ministered in Switzerland. That's a Bible school right there. That's um, Rhema Bible Training Center in Geneva, Switzerland. They're all French-speaking uh, Bible school students there. And, um, and they have a real heart to uh, get the Word of God to plant Bible schools in every French-speaking nation of the world. And there's 29 uh, French-speaking nations. And together, the school there in Geneva, uh, the school in Nice, France... Uh, they've started a, a, a new sister school in Paris, and um, there's also another sister school in Quebec, Canada. The Quebec schools and the European schools have worked together and have started a Bible school in Haiti, and, uh, which is French-speaking, and they, uh, in their very first year of a Bible school in Haiti, graduated 270 students. So they're very committed to the Great Commission making disciples of all nations. And just recently, the next picture, uh, that is our book, Life After Death. Those are 3,000 copies of that book in the French language. And those are already, that was just, uh, published a few and printed a few months ago, maybe six weeks ago. And that's already getting into the hands of French Bible school students and into the hands of pastors across the French speaking world. The very next picture is from last September. And that is in Brazil, outside of Sao Paulo. Uh, they are really having revival in Brazil. Uh, there are more than 100 uh, Rhema Bible Training Center campuses in Brazil. And they are multiplying and growing and thriving. Uh, this is actually a pastor's conference uh, that is taking place there last September. And while we were there, next slide, we got to see uh, three of our books in Portuguese and those are being used across Brazil and Portugal. And there's a couple, I think, Portuguese-speaking nations in Africa as well. And I just found out a week or so ago that uh, our book Dream Team and our book Through the Storms is currently going into uh, Portuguese right now. It's in process of being uh, translated and will be printed, etc. The next slide that we have is a project we're really excited about. Those are four of our books going into the Arabic language, and those are being done right now as we speak. Thank you. Uh, those are being done, and um, uh, they're being done in Egypt, and as soon as those are, are fully translated and printed, uh, they're going to be making 3,000 copies of each of those, and they'll be going to Bible schools and to pastors across the Middle East, ...and in the northern African nations. So that's exciting to see those going into the Arabic language. And then the next slide, I believe, is about our website. Um, We started our website in 2002. We didn't actually start tracking the statistics until 2007. So these numbers are all short. They're all fewer than what exists in reality. But since 2007, uh, we've had almost... We're coming up on a million people that have visited the site... 232 nations, 20,000 more cities, uh, 224 different languages and dialects. And, of course, you know, there's English-speaking missionaries all over the world. And and, uh, so that's something we do. It's a resourcing website with articles and training. So many people in different parts of the world uh, simply don't have a lot of Bible school training. So uh, we have a lot of resources on there, both audio, video, articles, and so on, to help uh, train uh, different folks. So the final slide that we have uh, are our books in English. And uh, we have those here today. So um, I'm sorry to tell you we don't have any books here in Russian or Portuguese or French or Arabic or, you know, anything else. I did just find out we've got uh, books. Um, our Timothy book I just found out last week is in, in the Greek language. I didn't even know that. And it's going into Chinese right now. And I also found out that our book on grace is already in, uh, Indonesian. If that's even a language, whatever language they speak in Indonesia, uh, the book is there. So I'm, I'm finding out about some of these things after the fact. But, uh, so anyway, but the reason I share all that is to, uh, two reasons. Number one, uh, God's doing amazing things in the earth. And what Lisa and I have the privilege of doing is just a micro sliver of, of all the amazing things God's doing, uh, all over the earth through His church. And, um, you know, the, the, the news networks are never gonna tell you what God is doing. They're only gonna talk to you about, you know, the bad things, the things the devil's doing, things wicked people are doing. But God is doing amazing things. And we need to know, we need to know that Jesus said that He would build His church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so uh, we just we don't want to be thinking that all that's happening in the world is bad. That is not the case. Uh, secondly, the reason I wanted to share that with you is because you have a part in everything that we've done. Because you guys have been faithful friends, partners, supporters. And, and I want to say what one of my missionary friends says. The best thing in the world you can do to help world missions is to give heavily to your local church. Because your local church, I know you guys support 46, is that right? 46 different missionaries. And so you're helping all kinds of different folks. Every time you give into your, your own tithes and offerings here, uh, you're not just helping the, the church here in Seekonk. You're not just helping with the operation and outreaches of this church. But you're you're impacting and helping and supporting missionaries all over the world. So keep giving great to your local church. Amen. Amen. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we want to thank you today. We thank you that Jesus is Lord today. We thank you that no weapon formed against us will prosper. We thank you, Lord, that you're our, our strength, you're our shield, you're our fortress, you're our deliverer. And we thank you that we have a, a great a uh, destiny in You, a wonderful identity in You. We thank You that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and and we are saved and we are uh, Yours. We thank You for Your goodness and Your mercy toward us. And Lord, for what we're going to share this morning, what we're going to share tonight, Lord, we believe that You're going to be speaking to Your people through Your Word and by Your Spirit and that You're going to be speaking specifically to our hearts and our lives about what we need to hear so that we can be everything you've called us to be, do the things you've called us to do, and so that we can glorify you with our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, um, I I, I wish I had a a deep spiritual theological scripture to share with you this morning to begin with, but I actually am going to open with a cartoon. Is that all right? Uh, We're going to be, you know, real practical here. If we could, let's uh, look at Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown and Linus are talking and Linus says, I guess it's wrong to always be worrying about tomorrow. And he says, maybe we should only think about today. And Charlie Brown says, no, that's giving up. I'm still hoping that yesterday will get better. <laughs> and how many people are like that? Still hoping that yesterday will get better. And uh, the reason that some people are living in the past, the, the reason why some people can't let go of the past, the reason why some people, you know, can't accept the fact that the past is past and history is history and, you know, you can't change facts or history, but uh, but we can have a new beginning in God. Uh, the reason people think that way is because they don't attend faith Christian Center. Because if they attended Faith Christian Center, they would have got pumped up today when we sang, I won't go back, I can't go back. Amen? If they attended Faith Christian Center, they'd know that uh, we, we, we won't go back, we can't go back. And, and you know what? That song, I, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed all the worship, all the music. And by the way, I love the... Um, the new look, you guys are doing a great job, looking great here. Um, uh, but, you know, people, so many times, you know, they're like the Israelites. They keep wanting to go back to Egypt. They keep, and uh, even though, you know, maybe you know and, and are really confident and assured as we should be that that our sins are forgiven and and that we're not going back to the old lifestyle, uh, still there are some people that want to keep reaching back into the past and holding on, you know, maybe to an event, Um, you know, maybe uh, some hurt in the past, maybe some offense in the past. Somebody said something, somebody did something that, you know, bothered you, irritated you, and and you just, you know, you can't let that thing be history. You know, it it keeps, you know, it's, it's like it happened yesterday and, And I was just talking to somebody here a couple weeks ago and, and, and they asked me, they said, Tony, have you, have you ever known people? And this individual was thinking of somebody that they had just talked with. And they said, just, you know, somebody, they haven't been in church for 15 years. And, um, and this person was talking to him about, well, why haven't you been in church? And the person said, well, and they, they rehearsed some situation that happened in their church and I don't have a clue what it was. You know, something disappointed them or, They were frustrated about something, or somebody made a decision they didn't like, or somebody hurt their feelings or whatever, and so they haven't been back to church because of what happened 15 years ago. And the person I was talking to said, you know, I didn't know it was 15 years ago, I knew it was something that had happened, and when I found out it was 15 years ago, the the person was shocked because they said, you know, I thought it happened yesterday, I thought it happened last Sunday, and, uh, but no, it happened 15 years ago and just holding on to the past and, and rehearsing, you know, the past and letting the past, uh, you know, continue to affect them and, and dominate them. And, and, uh, just in that conversation, you know, this person was saying, why? Why would somebody let something that's so far beyond them, behind them, why would they let that keep being a present? deterrent and hindrance in their life. And, and I said, I found myself just saying that um, uh, one, you know, people don't let go of the past because they don't see anything in their future. People don't have anything positive uh, speaking more loudly, positively about today and tomorrow so all they can hear is the voice of the past. And I thought, how sad that is to not have something so good in your life today that that you're willing to let go of the junk of the past. And I, I made this statement that one of the best ways to move beyond past pain is to have future purpose. One of the best ways to move beyond past pain is to have future purpose. In other words, you believe that you have a future that is great, that God has good things for you. How many of you believe the verse where God says, I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans for good. They're plans for benefit, not for evil. I'm going to give you an expected end. I'm going to give you a, a future to look forward to. But it's really hard to, to really move forward well when all you're doing is staring in your rearview mirror. You know, I believe we should learn from the past. I don't think we should forget the lessons of the past. How many of you have learned some things that you don't want to keep repeating the same mistakes? I think it's good to learn from the past. But, um, you know, one person said something to this effect. You know, the past is a rudder to guide us. It's not an anchor to hold us back. And have you ever noticed that when you drive, your your rearview mirror is real small? and your windshield is real big, it's because maybe you should just only occasionally think back, but but we should always be looking forward. We should have a big view of, of the future and not pay nearly as much about what's behind us. You know, the Apostle Paul, I love this verse, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Paul made an amazing statement here in Philippians three twelve. He said, Not that I have already attained... Or am already perfected. Uh, Can I tell you something? This verse applies to us. We haven't attained. We haven't already become perfect. How many of you know God's still working on you? How many of you know God's still working on your spouse? Uh, I think I said yesterday, you know, God loves me just the way I am, but He loves me too much to let me stay this way. Thank God I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not everything I'm going to be. Uh we, we're a work in progress, we're moving ahead. And one of the worst things that we can ever do in life is just think, Oh, I know it all. You know, I, I've been saved for this many years, so I've arrived, I've I've achieved, you know, I'm I'm on the mountaintop and, and uh you know, couldn't go any higher than I've possibly gone. You know, that's deception to think that we've arrived or that we know it all. Um, you know, and, and really, as long as we maintain a hungry heart, God, I want to know you more. I, I want to serve you more effectively. I'm not content with how far I've come. You know, I'm content in the Lord, but but I still want more and hungering and thirsting for more. When, when we get full, when we get satisfied, uh, then, then God, you know, really can't give us anything more because we're communicating to him that, you know, we think we've got it all. And uh, I think it was Mark Twain, or no, it wasn't Mark Twain, but somebody said, uh, definitely wasn't Mark Twain, somebody said, God, it's D.L. Moody, he said, God sends no one away empty except for the person who's full of himself. And the minute that I start thinking I know it all, I've got it all, I've achieved it all, I'm full of myself. And uh, so I love Paul's attitude. He just always hungered for more. Always believed there was room for improvement. Always believed there was room for growth. And he said, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. How many of you know you have better days ahead than what you've seen? You've got a brighter future than what you've experienced. Paul said, I press on that I may lay hold of that For which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Jesus laid hold of you. Now you're endeavoring to lay hold of what he has for you. And he says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting. Everybody say, forgetting. Forgetting. He says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I love that. If you're going to do one thing, Paul said, I do this one thing. I make sure I forget what's behind. You you don't want to let the past rule you. You don't want to let the past uh, dictate your future. Paul said, this one thing I do, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. And I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And then he said this, I press... I press toward the goal. Everybody say the goal. the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I, I like that. You know? Do you know Paul had a lot to forget? Man, Paul had a lot to forget. I mean, he had he, by by today's standards, uh, by today's definitions, Paul, and he was known earlier as Saul of Tarsus. Do you know he had been a terrorist? When you hold the New Testament, um, what, 13 or so of the books, I can't remember the exact number, are written by a guy who is a former terrorist. Saul of Tarsus. Before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, you know where he was on the road to Damascus? You know where he was going? I mean, Damascus. He was going to terrorize Christians. He was going to to identify, to infiltrate the Christian ranks, to... Uh, spy on them, to arrest them, to throw them in jail. He took part in the murder of a Christian. Uh, he, I mean, he was a bad dude. He was a, a, a hardened, uh, vengeful, vicious man who was out to hurt people just like you. Uh, Christians, people that love Jesus. And he was out to hurt them, but he met Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus changed his heart, gave him a new life. Aren't you glad that God can give us a new beginning? The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. You know, we need to really live in the reality of that. You know, there's still things back there historically. Uh, but redemptively, we've been changed. I'm not that same person anymore. You're not that same person anymore. Uh, those sins are not on your account anymore. Jesus took those sins. He, he accepted them, the punishment for them, the penalty for them. He went to the cross and He took all... Our old man was crucified with Christ, Paul said. And if we died with Christ and buried with Christ, then we're risen with Christ to walk with Him in newness of life. And we need to really understand the newness of life in Christ Jesus. And so Paul said, I got to forget those things which are behind. You know, Paul not only had to forget the negative things, the, the sinful things, but you know, Paul had to forget the successful things too. Paul had had some successes at this point, uh, even in his Christian life. He had had some successes. But you know what? You can't just, you know, glory in your past achievements and at like you've totally arrived yet. Enjoy your successes, but don't camp. Don't camp in your past failures. Don't camp even in your past successes. Press on uh, to obtain the, the the fullness, the prize of, what, what did Paul call it? The upward call. There's an upward call. In other words, God's calling you up to something higher than you've ever achieved before. He's calling you up to something richer than you've ever walked in before. However much you've been blessed in the past, God still has an upward call. He's got something better for you tomorrow than you've enjoyed yesterday. There is an upward call. But let me tell you this, I don't believe we'll ever lay hold of that until we let go of the past. Just, it's just part of God's plan for our life. Now, I want to talk just one great example of, of forgetting the past, because sometimes some of the hardest things to forget are things where we've been hurt or we've done wrong, we've been done wrong, or, or sometimes people can't forgive themselves for past mistakes. They feel like, well, I've got to do some kind of penance or, you know, something, I've got to wallow in the dirt here for a long time just to, you know, so I'm really sorry for what I did. And, uh, you know, I understand it's good to have an, a repentant attitude. But one of the most beautiful things about repentance is that we're not just repenting from the past sin. We're repenting to a God who makes all things new. And one of the greatest honors that we can give to the Lord Jesus Christ is to believe that His blood has really, really, really cleansed us from sin. So we quit wallowing in the guilt and shame of the past. But Clara Barton, you know, you may recognize her name. She's the lady that founded the American Red Cross. Somebody reminded her one time of a. She had been. Somebody had done something very vicious against her. And somebody reminded her of how badly somebody had treated her. And she acted like she had no idea what they were talking about. And they, the person said, Don't you remember it? And she said, No. She said, I distinctly remember forgetting it. I distinctly remember forgetting it. Isn't that great? See, there's a lesson in what she said. I want to tell you something that is very, very important about what forgetting really is. And this is why some people never do forget uh, in the biblical sense. Forgetting in the biblical sense is really not amnesia. Forgetting. Now, how many of you know Paul said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind? But do you know that in his letters and in his sermons, Paul often brought up the things he had done? And he said, I used to persecute the church of God, and he talked about it. So, is that a contradiction? On one hand, Paul is saying, I'm forgetting those things which are behind, but on occasion, he would talk about those things. Is that a contradiction? I mean, if you really forget it, maybe it, you should just really have no recollection of it whatsoever. I don't think that's really biblical, and I'm not even sure it's... it's Possible from the brain standpoint. Let me tell you what I believe forgetting really is. Forgetting is not amnesia. Forgetting is not the inability to historically recall certain events. Here's what forgetting is. Forgetting is a decision to never again allow that past incident to dominate your life, it is, it is a decision to determine, uh, to not, not allow that past event to determine the atmosphere of your life. Do you know what I mean by the atmosphere of your life? I think we all kind of have our own individual atmosphere, it can be an atmosphere of joy. It can be an atmosphere of peace, or we can just kind of go around with an atmosphere of uh, you know, regret and remorse and, and rejection and uh, pain and unforgiveness, bitterness and that type of thing. What's the atmosphere that you're living in? I think, I think God not only wants the past not to dominate us, I think God also wants the past not to determine our current atmosphere. And thirdly, God doesn't want the past uh, incident to dictate the agenda for our future. To be free from the past is not to intellectually not be able to recall it through amnesia, but to forget the past is to make the decision that the past will not dominate your present, determine your atmosphere, or dictate your future. It's a decision. And see, sometimes, you know, things that affect us... How many of you know that feelings can linger? And sometimes, because we still may have a little bit of a feeling from the hurt, or a feeling from whatever it is we went through... um, we, we we forget to realize, I may feel the sting of that for a little bit, but I can still make the decision, that's not going to ruin my future. That's not going to mess up today uh, for my life. I'm going to live in the reality of who God says I am, how much God loves me. You know, I I need to take this attitude. If God be for me, it doesn't matter who was against me. It doesn't matter who said what, who did what. I'm walking in a new day, and I'm not going to give that past situation the privilege of living on in my future. A guy named Gary Chapman made a great statement. He said, I am amazed by how many individuals mess up every new day with yesterday. They insist on bringing into today the failures of yesterday and in doing so, pollute a potentially wonderful day. How many of you know the Bible says His mercies are new every morning? Let's go back to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 1. Nehemiah is one of my favorite Bible books, books of the Bible, because it's about rebuilding broken down walls. Uh, where devastation has happened, God brings restoration. And everybody in life goes through some junk, some pain, some difficulties, some challenges... And, and I really believe that one of the major, major factors in us being able to lay hold of, of a good life, a positive life, um, a blessed life, is, is not just the ability to forget the past, but the ability to have something focus on for the future. Remember, the best way to overcome past pain is to have future hope. And and to have a vision, to have an image of what God wants to do, who God wants us to be, what God wants us to do. And I am so convinced of this. The Bible says that God is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us. God's power does work in us. And uh, I'll tell you, just to be able to let go of the ruins of the past... And, and perceive the rewards of the future is, is a great uh, thing to have operating in your life. Nehemiah had an assignment to rebuild the broken down walls of Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah could not do it alone. And Nehemiah not only is a great book about hope and a future and restoration beyond devastation... But Nehemiah is a great book about leadership and teamwork. And one of the things we need to understand is that our future is not just a personal future. But but God wants us to have a, a corporate future. Not just what does God want to do in my life personally, but what does God want to do in all of our lives as Faith Christian Center as we work together to not just for me to have a better life, but for the church to have a better life, and the church to impact the world in a more positive way. And Nehemiah is a great book about teamwork and leadership and so on. But let me tell you this, anything that is good in your future, anything that God has for your future, is going to face opposition. You understand what I'm saying? Because the enemy... I I would love it if all we had were the blessings of God in life. But how many of you know we live in a fallen world? And, And there's people around us that aren't doing things God's way. And so we live in a fallen world. Sometimes we just have to deal with some junk in life. And Jesus said that the thief comes for three reasons. What are they? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. You know, there is a spirit at work in this world that's just trying to you know mess with people and and steal your joy and 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 rob you of your confidence and and uh, steal your peace and everything else and and so anytime that God has something positive for your future, the enemy 's going to challenge it. Uh, the enemy 's going to test and tempt and try and and uh, try to get you off course try to get you sidetracked and and of course, this is no exception. The bible says. In Nehemiah 6, 1, it says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates. So, see, what we have here is a picture of a work in progress, a work that's not totally finished yet. You are a work that is not totally finished. We're a work in progress. It it happened at that time that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. Now, these guys were his enemies. And they want to have a meeting with Nehemiah. Well, what they had was a plot. They were setting a trap for him. And can I tell you this? The enemy will always have something to get you off track. The enemy will always have distractions. He'll have things for you to get focused on, to to lose your focus of what God has for you, and and to get under your skin, to get you irritated at other people, to get you focused at people from the past, uh, to hear the voices of condemnation, the voices of negativity and pessimism, you're never going to make it. And so, so these, these enemies of Nehemiah said, oh, we need to meet together. We, we need to talk together. And, and notice they wanted to meet him on the plane of, oh, no. Should be a clue right there. Oh, no. You know, the Bible says, give no place to the devil. And so we need to be aware of the devices of the enemy, the things, you know, whether it's putting unforgiveness in our heart, whether it's just holding on to, you know, false beliefs, whether it's unbelief, uh, you know, whether it's past hurts, whatever. We need to know we're not going to fellowship with that stuff. We're not going to nurse the grudge, all right? So I love what Nehemiah said. Uh, so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. I am doing a great work. Do you want to know why so many Christians get sidetracked? Do you want to know why so many Christians get put on the sideline and end up going in circles? It's because they lose sight of doing a great work for God. They lose sight of an assignment. An idle Christian. A Christian who's not doing anything to serve others, to help others, to give of their time. They're not doing anything to build something positive. They're just kind of sitting around. An idle Christian is the most easily sidetracked Christian. The reason that Nehemiah was able to say no was because he had already said yes. He had said yes so strongly to what God had told him to do that he he could easily brush aside no. But Christians who don't have a real purpose, they don't have a real drive, they don't have a real determination, they're just kind of meandering through life and just... You know, kind of going from circumstance to circumstance and situation to situation. They don't have any goals. They don't have any purpose. They're not living for anything bigger than themselves. They can easily get sidetracked. See, Nehemiah was able to say no because he had said yes. My question is, what have you said yes to? that that pulls you forward, that keeps you on track with God. How strong are your resolutions that I'm going to glorify God with all of my life. I'm going to honor God with everything that I do. God, I, by the t- when I finish my life, when I finish my course here on this earth, I want to be able to look back and say, God, I gave you everything that you asked for. I gave you of my time, I gave you of my talent, I gave you of my treasure. I did not withhold for personal squandering and self-indulgence anything. I laid my whole life on the altar. I went all out for you. I was all in for you. And I'll tell you what, if you go all out for God, you're going to be amazed how easy it is to say no to the junk. When you have an amazing future pulling you forward, you're going to find it, it's a lot easier to let go of the past. Now, here's something that's interesting. Not only did Nehemiah say, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. He said, why should the work cease while I come and go, leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times. Can I tell you something? The devil doesn't quit the first time you resist him. Temptation doesn't stop just because you resist at once. You know why the Bible says that we have to have perseverance, endurance? The Bible says it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promise. Do you know why we have to have patience, endurance, and perseverance because the devil doesn't quit easy. He will come. He will come again. He will come again. But you just have to make sure that your resolve is bigger than his attack. Alright? And uh, so, they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. Be consistent in your faith. Now, I love... I love one statement. It says, the lion does not turn around when a small dog barks. It's an African proverb. The lion does not turn around when a small dog barks. You need to realize you're a lion. Rick Warren said this. He said, if you don't live by priorities, you'll live by pressures. Either you will determine what's important in life or other people will determine it for you. One of the greatest disciplines that we can have in life is to put God first. Put God first. And that means put Him first. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Um, don't don't live your life and then at the very end figure out, now, do I have anything left over for God? Do I have any energy left over for God? No, I'm pretty tired from everything else I've done. Don't really have time for God. Do we have energy for God? Do we have time for God? You know, there's a reason why, and, and this is something my wife and I established. We just celebrated our 37th anniversary and when we got married 37 years ago and and um, we we took a job together, newlyweds, we took a job together as janitors in a local church. And we were making minimum wage. And we just decided, we, we had that because we had to have money to get through Bible school. And um, we just determined, you know, well, we're just going to do what the Bible says. We're going to tithe. And see, tithing is not just 10%. I mean, it is. a tithe. That's what the word means, tithe. But the Bible emphasizes it's the first Ten, the first tenth, and um, I, I heard a testimony a few years ago that really blessed me about a guy who had really, really moved beyond his past. And um, I was preaching at a church in Arizona, and in this particular church, the pastor and his wife both come out, came out of backgrounds of alcohol and drug addiction. Both the pastor and his wife. They actually met, either they met in like an AA group or they met in a rehab hospital. Uh, but they both came out of severe addictive, you know, lifestyle and behaviors. And they got born again. Uh, they felt a call to ministry. They went to Rhema to train for ministry. They went into the pastorate. Uh, they actually pastored up in New York, and then they pastored in Oklahoma City, and then now today they're pastoring out in Arizona. And because of their background of drug and alcohol addiction, they really know how to relate to people who are from that background because they've been there. And, and so their church has a whole lot of people in it that are either from that background or, you know, kind of coming out of that lifestyle even now, because they really have a strong emphasis toward that in in their ministry. And um, the pastor introduced me to a guy, I'm going to call him Jim. And the pastor said, Jim, I want you to share your testimony with Tony. And so Jim said, he said, well, he said, here's my story. He said, uh, I, I used to you know I was married I had kids I had a house I had a car I had a great career he said I had everything he said really I was making tons of money in the corporate world and he said I had a beautiful home you know we had nice cars you know we lived in a great neighborhood we had everything you know that people would want and he said and then I started messing around with drugs and he says just kind of a you know recreational thing And then I kind of began to use the drugs for stress management because my job was really stressful. And he said, the next thing I knew, he said, I was in over my head. He said, I was, and I don't remember what was crack or something. He's addicted to something. And he said, Tony said, the bottom line is, he said, I lost everything. He said, I just got totally addicted. I lost my job, lost my marriage, lost my house, lost my kids, lost my car. He said, my wife divorced me. I I ended up homeless and totally strung out on drugs. He said, "I I was a severe addict. And he said, I lived under the bridge here in town for four years. Homeless, under a bridge for four years. Just doing anything he could to scrape up money for the next hit. And he said, I lost everything. He said, I had no hope. He said, I I just knew I was going to be there until I died. I knew I'd die under that bridge. And someday they'd come in and haul me out of there. And he said, but some people came and talked to me about Jesus and offered to get me into a, a rehab facility that was kind of a Christian-based program. And he said, so in that process, he said, you know, I, I gave my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. He said, I got sober. He said, I began to get my mind renewed to the Word of God. And um, I don't remember all the timing on it, but, but by the time I was talking with him, he said, you know, I've been out of rehab and all that. And he said, I, I have a job now. He said, I never thought I'd have a job again. He said, I have an apartment. He said, it may not be the beautiful house I used to have, but he said, it sure does beat the bridge. And he said, I've got a roommate who's also a Christian, also out of recovery and are in recovery and we're, uh, you know, encouraging each other. And, uh, and, 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 so, and he said, um, uh, the pastor said, but yeah, tell him what you do when you get paid. And Jim said, well, I'll tell you what I do when I get paid. He said, the first thing I do is he said, I, I go to the bank and I get the 10%, and he said, I don't wait till Sunday morning. He said, I take it to the church immediately. I go from the bank to the church and give them my tithe check. He said, now let me tell you two reasons I do that. He said, number one, if you know anything about addicts, it's not good for them to have extra money sitting around. He said, I don't, he said I'm doing fine, but he said, I don't want to get tempted And he said, So I get that 10% to God immediately. He said, The second reason I do it is not just to get rid of temptation that I might be tempted to spend the money a wrong way, but he said, I do it because I want to honor God first. I want to give God the first 10%. He said, "I, I don't, he said, God gave me his very best. When I didn't deserve anything, he said, I want to give God my very best. He said, I want to give him. And then he went on to share. This is very cool. Uh, this is kind of a tag-along part of the story. He said, then, he said, then I pay my bills and so on and so forth. He said, my roommate and I always have a little bit of money left over. So we go down to the grocery store. We get some bread, some sandwich meat, some bottles of water. And we come home. We make sandwiches. And we go down to the bridge. And he said, we don't do it by ourselves. We go together, we go as a team, and we go down to the bridge and we find people that need Jesus like we used to need Jesus. And, you know, see, he had a purpose. It's important not just to think about what you came from, but you need to think about what you're going to. You need to have a positive purpose that keeps you from going back into the negative junk of the past. Now, uh, I want to talk just for a quick minute about Joseph. Because if anybody ever had a right to hold on to the past in bitterness and resentment, it was Joseph. If anybody ever had a right to carry a grudge, to complain about life, to say that life is unfair, to have a sour attitude, or to wear a victim badge... It was Joseph. He had been sold into slavery by his own flesh and blood. His own brothers, out of jealousy, sold him into slavery. And then, even though he was a slave, he still worked hard, had a great attitude, got promotions, and then his boss's wife fabricated a lie about him and got him thrown into jail as a totally innocent man who had maintained his integrity. So here are two massive setbacks in life, sold into slavery by his own brothers and thrown into prison on a total lie. And then, in the prison, you know, he continued to have a good attitude and serve. He actually became the assistant warden of the prison. You know, because you just, how many of you know, you just can't keep a good man down. Amen. It doesn't matter what you're passing. You just can't keep a good man down. And he becomes the war, assistant warden of the prison. And two of Pharaoh's servants get thrown in there. And they have dreams. And Joseph interprets the dreams. And they come to pass exactly what, like Joseph said. And the servant that was getting set free, uh, Joseph said, hey, rem- rem- remember me to Pharaoh. You know, put in a good word for me. And uh, the guy says, oh, you bet. He forgot. (laughs) Joseph sat in that prison two more years because the guy who said, I'm going to help you, just forgot. And then Pharaoh had a dream. And then the guy said, oh, yeah, there's a guy down in prison that interprets dreams. And the next thing you know, Joseph is the prime minister of Egypt. He is second in command. ...of the greatest empire in the world. And an event happened that was pretty amazing. Genesis chapter 41... ...later, uh, after Joseph had ruled and helped in Pharaoh's empire... ...and had served a great redemptive purpose... ...the Bible says in Genesis 41... ...it talks about a couple boys that Joseph had. It says, Joseph called the name of his firstborn... ...his firstborn son... Manasseh, for God has made me forget all the toil and all my father's house. The word Manasseh means to forget. So Joseph named his first son Manasseh, which means to forget. Because Joseph knew that the most important thing he had ever done in life was to forget. So he names his firstborn son that. Because Joseph knew that if he had held on to the past instead of trusting God, that he would have never been able to move into his future. So he names his firstborn son Manasseh. And it says in verse 52, And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. His second-born son, Ephraim, in the Hebrew, that means fruitful. Isn't that amazing? He didn't name his first-born son fruitful and his second-born son forget. Because you'll never get fruitful until you forget. you got to forget first. You've got to have Manasseh in your life before you can have Ephraim. You've got to forget the past, let go of the past, before you can step into the land of fruitfulness that God has for you. I think it's interesting that he said, God has made me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Sometimes we think, well, I can't be fruitful. I can't have the fruit of the Spirit. I can't be effective or productive until all my circumstances are perfect. But you know what? A person that knows how to believe God, trust God, put the past behind, there can still be junk around you, but you can still have fruitfulness coming out of your life. But Joseph, he had to follow that pattern. Number one, he had to forget. And number two, forgetting helped make him fruitful. So, just remember this. Forgetting is not what? It's not amnesia. It's not the inability to remember intellectually. Forgetting is, what is it? It's a a decision to never again to allow that past incident to dominate your life or to determine your current atmosphere or to dictate the agenda for your future. The Apostle Paul said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm reaching forth to those things which are before. Nehemiah said, I can't come down to your level. I, I don't mean that we're better than anybody else, but you know, some people just want to live at a level of complaining and murmuring and negativity and, and resentment. I, I can't come down. Why? Because I'm doing a great work. What I'm doing, it requires me to be clear-headed. I I can't be wallowing in the past. I'm doing a great work for God. Every one of us should believe we're doing a great work. We have a great purpose. We have a great destiny. We have a great future. And, And I have to forget the things which are behind. I have to reach forth to those things which are before. I have to forget. I have to do my manasseh so I can have my Ephraim, so I can have my fruitfulness. I love what one person said, and we'll close with this statement. It says, when your affection for the past is greater than your excitement for the future, you need to fellowship with the God of hope. When your affection for the past is greater than your excitement for the future, you need to fellowship with the God of hope. God's a God of new beginnings. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for this church. I thank you for Pastor John and Anita. I thank you for all the leaders, all the workers, all the servants here, all the people that love you and serve you, the people that come here and are fed, the people that are reached through the radio, the, the, maybe the, the webcast, whatever, however these, uh, influences go forth in and from this place. Father, we thank You that You want us to know that You're a God of new beginnings. That that our past cannot dominate our future. It can't control the atmosphere of our present. It can't dictate the future that's before us. God, You're our God. And You're the God of new beginnings. You're the God who said, Behold, I make all things new. And Father, help us Help us to make the decision not to be ruled by past memories, not to be governed by past feelings, but, Father, to make a decision that your plan and your plan only is what will prevail in our life and, and generate the fruitfulness that we need.